I think for the Japanese, I feel they've lost touch. They're losing touch of these words, which I think is happening with all cultures, that we're sort of losing touch with our essence. And, and Japan's this country with years and years of history and, and unique culture. But this word is used in Japanese culture and it's used in business. And this word, kokorozashi, is actually probably what people are wanting from the westernized version of ikigai. So that's why I think people will love this word. So in the business context, it's having a, a personal mission and it's also the leader's mind. This is Superfast Business with James Schramko. James Helping you build your business super fast. James Schramko here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. This is episode 773. And we're working our way through a whole bunch of Japanese terms. And I've brought along my special guest, Nick Kemp, who was my guest on episode 772 as well, where we were talking about the subject of Ikigai. Welcome back, Nick. Thank you for having me back, James. I got some sleep last night and I'm probably not as nervous as I was last time. So thank you for having me back. That's great. I'm not <laughs> sure why you're nervous. We're not uh, sort of at the Oprah, Joe Rogan level, but certainly I know our guests I really appreciate having people on this show who may not necessarily be famous, but are certainly passionate about what they do. And I love talking to people who can share things that are going to grow us as a person. Let's have a quick reflection on episode 772 because if you've just arrived at this podcast, if today's your first super fast business experience, welcome, but you may want to go back and listen to 772. And why would they want to do that, Nick? They'd want to do that for a few reasons, but there are a few corrections I'd like to add. And there was one of the um, Ikigai 9 we missed. So I would like to go over that. And there are a few other important points I think we should share with the audience. So episode 772 was about Ikigai. You gave us a nice quote that sort of tied it up in a little bow and wrapped it up neatly for everyone. Do you want to share what your definition of Ikigai is? Absolutely. So Ikigai is a life philosophy of daily rituals. I should have added in small joys, living your values, building intimate relationships, fulfilling life roles and pursuing a, a life goal with a healthy sense of urgency. Nice. So that's what we talked about. So it's a well worth a listen. It was a longish episode. Yeah, it was. But it was close to my heart because of the history of it and how popular it is. It's like literally the most popular thing on super fast business because so many people listen to this podcast resonate with my message of actually building a business that gives you a life that is enjoyable rather than the hustle and the grind and the celebrated workerism that is out there and, and also there's that whole bunch of people who are doing things because their parents thought it was a good idea to go to university or because they didn't know what they want to do yet. If you don't know what you want to do when you grow up, then that is a good episode to listen to. And I say leave grinding to the baristas <laughs> and enjoy your life more. So in this episode, and by the way, I'll just a little shout out for my own books, Work Less, Make More. I think it aligns quite well with the whole discussion around Ikigai. There's no doubt why my audience resonate with that podcast and why 772 is destined to be a popular episode in our soundtrack. But we're not talking about that one today, are we? Firstly, let's just cover the corrections. Uh, I know you have a sense of obligation yes, to... So. <laughs> You know, we framed it so carefully as being the truth about Ikigai would be the wrong thing to do to move past any corrections that you feel like you want to get out there off your chest. So go for it. Confession time. Yep. So, so I mentioned <laughs> that the etymology of the word is made up of Iki and Gai and goes back to this word Kai, which means shell. And I mentioned that about 1500 years ago, 
there were these shells that were decorated. So I've just got the year wrong there. It was in the, the Heian period, which is 794 to 1185. So I did a bit of research and you could think of this game Kaiwase as the game of bridge. My mother's friends used to play it and they were quite affluent. So maybe it was there. My grandma used to play it a lot too. And and that period, the Heian period, was considered the peak of Japanese imperial court and it was noted for its art and things like poetry and literature. So that's where the shells came from. And I found out this game of Kaiwase could have up to 360 shells. Wow. So that's like playing that matching card game with uh, 360 cards. So that's pretty fascinating. So that's one point. And then when I did the Ikigai 9 with you, I only did eight. So Right. Well, let's cover the ninth. The secret bonus mystery number nine finally revealed. <laughs> yeah, so that was I have room in my mind, and that means I have a room in my mind to contemplate my life and to think about my goals and if I'm satisfied. And I'm assuming that would be five for you on a one to five scale. Absolutely. Is that something that speaks to open-mindedness or is it something that speaks to being able to accept more, that there are things we don't fully understand, that we're still humble and ready to receive new things? I think it's more that you're not stressed and overwhelmed and that you have some control and freedom in your life to sit back. Give me a 10. I'll take a 10 on that one. You know what I did before our call? I think it's fun sometimes to talk about my life on my own podcast because I suspect it's relevant. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I still feel a little uncomfortable talking about myself too much. However, you know, it's been such a good day. I wanted to share this day. It's a Friday. And I started the day with my daughter actually woke me up because she wanted me to feed her. She knows I'm the prime food provider in the morning. And that that was a great experience sharing a meal. And I actually caught her dancing in her high chair while I I was making the food. She couldn't see me. So I knew she was like genuinely doing it, not to entertain anyone else, but just because she could feel the music in her body that, you know, that was playing. And then we went and took her for a swim. She had some swimming lessons, which she enjoyed immensely. It's obviously a critical foundational skill for her, you know, eventual pathway into surfing, which I hope she enjoys. I certainly won't force it on her. I may or may not have a pink colored surfboard here that would be just right for her when she's a bit older, if she decides she's into it. But she certainly likes scraping the wax off my boards with her fingernails. And she's very keen to assist me putting the fins in when I screw them in. And she's showing interest there. Well, that's lovely. After that, my parents came over and we just had the most fantastic lunch out on the deck there with the umbrella and the sun was shining down here in Sydney. And it's great that they can visit because that's been a bit of a rare thing. And uh, they can come over and we can enjoy a meal and not break any laws doing that. Yep. And then after that, I had you know, spent a little bit of time with my son, my oldest son, and I sat down and just for a little while, I looked through a notepad that I've got. I found a notepad that I'd prepared earlier this year. I reckon it's about six months old and it had a whole bunch of notes on it that I was contemplating or thinking about. And there's probably seven or eight pages on this pad. And it's like I'd sort of taken care of my now self with my previous contemplations and thoughts. And I, I was really excited. There was actually five or six pads. It was a little bit of a beautiful mind moment. You know, I go through those every now and then I just want to just get everything out of my head and put it on paper. And then I put it aside and I leave it hmm. and I found it again. And I'm excited about it. I'm actually going to take this. I can tell I'm going to cross a lot of things off that are no longer relevant. Like there's actually stuff here relating to my live event, which was in March. And there was stuff relating to the Maldives event, which I can't do anymore. But there was also stuff relating to my business model, which has actually really fallen into alignment. 
and having that space, it just felt great. Mm-hmm. And then I just came back home with the wind in my hair and here we are recording a podcast, which I very rarely do, but I actually consider this on the same level as if I was going to sit in a big comfy chair and read for an hour or two this afternoon, which is something I would typically do on a Friday. So this isn't work today. This is a chat with my mate, Nick, finding out about something new, because I'm going to say this for podcast two in our series, I don't know what this term is, so you're going to have to explain it to me, and even more importantly, you're going to have to pronounce it for me. Okay. I don't even know how I'd guess this one. I think last time you said it, I said, bless you, (laughs) (laughs) because I thought you were sneezing. Okay. I think we've covered that I have room in my mind. Okay. Totally cool with that. Only on that, I just wanted to say, I think that reminds me of that story of the guy seeking wisdom who climbed up, you know, the mountain and got all the way to the top. And then he found that monk guy, you know, the the expert, the sensei, whatever type of expert he was sitting up there. And the guy says, would you like a cup of tea? Because the guy says, I want to know everything. I want you to teach me everything. And he says, we want a tea. And the master is like pouring the tea and the cup fills up and then the cup gets to the top and the sensei just keeps pouring and pouring and he's like, hey, it's, it's full, like it's, it's, it's going everywhere. What are you doing? He's like, before we start with anything, you need to empty your mind. Okay. Yes. You know, your cup is already full and if you're basically closed to or have zero capacity to add anything new or you, you know, even worse, you've fallen for the trap of saying, I know, mm. or you, know, you think you're an expert then you're bound to come unstuck. And one of the things I used to teach rookie salespeople was about expert error. As soon as they thought they knew everything and as soon as they were experts, they would cut corners and then their results would drop. As soon as I went back to basics and taught them some humility and to be open that there's new stuff, that's when they started reading new sales books and negotiation books and learning about the product on a constant basis. So I think that's a really nice one, number nine. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's right. And what you've just said reminds me of another Japanese term, which is called shoshin, which is the beginner mind. And if you hold this beginner mind just constantly through whatever you're doing in your life, you'll learn something. But if, as you said, if you think you already know something, yeah, you're going to cut corners, you'll come off as arrogant and you'll miss out on probably something meaningful, learning something meaningful. I can so relate to that. For me, taking up surfing was entering beginner mind on such a strong metaphorical basis. It helped me help my students better because as well as I'm going with the online marketing and the online business stuff and life in general, to get such a brutally difficult (laughs) learning curve forced me to discover the systems I'd built for myself to optimize and to improve and to calibrate. And I applied a lot of the lessons I've learned in life to learning how to surf. And I was able to progress fairly quickly, even though you know my body would fight me on it. <laughs> and I had other challenges to deal with, but it was such a good thing. And yesterday I bought a new tennis racket, which is actually really hard to do at the moment. Supply of all sorts of things, mm, yes. imported goods is restricted. But I bought a fairly beginner racket and I did that because I know I'm not Roger Federer and I'm not, you know, pretending. I used to do tennis as a school sport. I could probably play at a reasonably okay club level where I can hit the ball back and forth and do a serve and I know what the rules are. And you know, I did it for several years at school, but I'm going to start from the beginning. Mm. So I'm not pretending that I'm amazing at this. I'm going to start with humility and I'll start as a beginner and then I'll work my way up. And if I go well and I do it more often, 
then I'll buy a nicer racket down the track. Mm. One of the classic things people do when they start surfing is they go to too small a board quickly because they want to look cool with it under their arm, but they're impossible to balance <laughs> on and they're so hard to paddle and you don't catch waves with them either. It's how to get the most frustrating experience possible. So thank you. This is a great one. Yeah, it also reminds me of um, Tim Ferriss's, I don't know if he came up with it, but the idea of be the weakest person in the room. Certainly heard the saying. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah, we all want to be great and good at something, but eventually you realize, you know what? I don't want to because if I am the best, I'm just not going to learn and I'm not going to grow. So yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Yeah, and we're not always going to be on the same page. Mm. You know, that's why like I had some resistance to some of the points in the last episode. Yeah. And it really reminded me um, today, you know, hanging out with my parents is so nice. But some of the things they say remind me of how I had to train myself differently. You know, when if you're carrying a glass of water, instead of saying, don't drop that water, which is what a lot of parents would say, yeah. I've retrained myself to think, hang on tight to that glass, mm. you know, keep a steady hand. So I focus on the positive thing I want, not focusing on the negative thing I might get, building anxiety and creating more stress and actually increasing the chance of that glass being dropped. So on that point, I did, I have put in notes because I wanted to make sure you got the context of this idea of resonance and how it's a need to be accepted by others. So it doesn't mean you need to be accepted by everyone. And I do like how you question and challenge ideas on the podcast because it stops people. It actually catches people and they stop and they think, oh, okay, hang on, James is challenging. And it's interesting and it can highlight a point that other people wouldn't normally think of. Well, it's super ironic because the point I was challenging was that we should do things to be fitting in and accepted by others. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm not going to be accepted by everybody when I do that. Yeah. And I was thinking about it after the episode. Why do I challenge those things? Why do I question? I, I don't need to be deemed by Nick as a five out of five on everything if it's truly not the case because, you know, it doesn't matter. If I don't agree with something, then I don't agree with something. And one of my mentors taught me, especially about books, because that's where I used to glean a lot of my information. And he used to give me books to read and give me assignments, movies to watch. And he would say, just remember, a book is just someone's opinion. Yeah. And I sort of extended that to say, well, also a book is like one or two pages of bullet points that's been puffed out into what is deemed acceptable to have a book. And like, I'm, where are the two pages of bullet points in this book is my mission. And if I don't like the book, you don't have to finish it. You can throw it away. You give it away. But I certainly, uh, I think it's good to question everything, even even this episode. And I don't think every listener is going to agree with me. And that's totally fine because no two humans are the same. No. We're just not. Yeah. Yeah. So let me represent it because it is a very important idea. And it was actually the foundation of her research in her books, really important. So her research group for the book were lepers. And you have to understand back in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, they were shipped off mainland Japan and treated like criminals. <laughs> treated like lepers. Yeah, literally, yeah. Like that's actually the saying, isn't it? You're treating me like a leper? It was. So like I don't think lepers get treated very well. No. And they get talked about a fair bit in the Bible too, from memory. So yeah, they were shipped off to what, probably like the detention centres. They were promised this lifestyle of you know living on an island and it would be wonderful. And they were separated from children and they weren't allowed to have children. So some of these people who lived on these islands, they didn't see children for decades. And 
Kamiya, Miyako Kamiya, who wrote this amazing book, which we talk about in the previous episode, she wanted to work at one of these leprosoriums, I think they call them, to do her research so she could get her dissertation and then write her book. And she also wanted to help these people and also try and provide better conditions for them. And so through her research, she used to do surveys of these lepers. And that's how she came up with the seven ikigai needs. Obviously, these people felt ostracized from mainland Japan and society, but it was very important for them that they be accepted within their community. So the context of being accepted by others is in your personal community. And so obviously, yeah, you're never going to be accepted by everyone and you shouldn't seek to, but you would want to be accepted by people related to your role. So your role, you know, as a father, as a husband, as a mentor. And we're seeing what happens to people who don't get accepted in their social group at the moment with all these problems with teenagers either suffering from depression or some, you know, committing suicide. So that's sort of the context. And I imagine for you, James, and this I was thinking about this and I think this would be so funny to say, but, you know, be like you getting off this call and you decide to take your wife to the cafe and she just suddenly says, oh, I don't want to go. And you're going, oh, why? And she won't talk and you sort of say, hey, what's going on? And she goes, well, you know, you're embarrassing. You're dressed like a kid and you haven't grown up, which would never happen. And maybe you ring your friend Ezra and say, oh, man, look, I'm so looking forward to coming to Hawaii to surf with you. And be like Ezra going, oh, look, don't bother coming, man. Like, (laughs) which he would never say. So it's people who are really important to you or who are in your um, personal community. If they don't accept you, then, yeah, unless you're really highly evolved, it's going to impact how you feel. And that's why it's an ikigai need. Yeah. It does. You know, those interesting scenarios does. Like most feedback, it always makes me question what's the basis for them saying that and is it valid or not? And then I would decide if I want to do something about that or if I think that I'm okay with whatever caused that and it just is. It's pretty revealing in itself in terms of that thought process. Yeah. I'm thinking in a business context, when people accept me and they're happy that I know what I'm doing and they feel that I could help them be better off, then they're going to buy from me. And that's good for me and it's good for them. They get great transformation and I get value exchange for what I'm able to do with them. You know, I get rewarded for all the thousands of books and the decades of experience that I can just tip their way within minutes and everyone's happy. But if they didn't accept me or whatever, there'd be a lot of hard work to do, I think, to yeah. make sales. You know, imagine if you had to do you know, door knocking or cold selling because people don't know who you are. You don't have a podcast or you don't have a little videos going out there or you haven't been nurturing people forever yeah yeah <laughs> we'll see about this we don't even run ads on our podcast right? we're just giving away content you know thousands and thousands of hours over time actually millions of downloads yeah. which is mind-blowing when you think about it i don't know how many millions probably four or five million now and it's just a long game, isn't it? Mm. So thank you for clarifying that about right, acceptance yeah. and, and where that fits. And I agree we have, it's very important that kids feel loved and accepted. And that's definitely been an issue. And it's definitely hard being a kid anyway, no matter what period you grow up or where. But it's probably a little bit more challenging right now for some of them. And I see that and I'm dealing with different age groups with my own children out there, my cohort in the marketplace, uh, bringing me all sorts of information back. So. Thank you. That's all right. No, it was important. So, I, yeah, and I wanted to make sure you understood. And that's a really important need for, I think, 
for everyone. Look at that. We've managed to get this far into an episode <laughs> and not even mention the subject of it. That will definitely be a record. Let's do it. This, this was like Ikigai part two. Well, let's transition into the real episode. What are we talking about today? This relates to Ikigai and I love this word. I think I love this word even more than Ikigai. Now, here's the kanji and I love this kanji. So the word is kokorozashi, kokorozashi. And the kanji is made up of two characters. So the top, this part here, is warrior, and the bottom part is heart. So it represents the warrior, and heart can also mean spirit or mind. So I'll send you that so the team can put that up in the post. Yeah, we'll put it up there on episode 773, superfastbusiness.com. You can get the kanji, which is uh, a symbol from what I gather. <laughs> Chinese character. It's a yeah. Chinese character that would explain to someone reading that what it is. And so unlike Ikigai, this is an out there, so it's not misunderstood, which is a really good place to start from. So it can have four meanings, and I'll just say them now. So it can mean a desire to aim in a certain direction, a goal or objective set in one's mind. So that's one. Number two, one's way of thinking. So their principles, beliefs, and ideas. Number three, compassion for others the feeling of caring for others. And number four, it can be a gift that expresses feelings of goodwill and gratitude. So this is a really good example of why Japanese is so difficult to understand because their words can have multiple meanings. And that's why words like ikigai and this word kokorozashi and wabi-sabi, Japanese are unable to give you a succinct definition. And so if you ask a Japanese, oh, what does ikigai mean? They'll gesture like this and go, ah, no, no. Ah, difficult to explain. Sometimes it's annoying for people because they think, well, hang on, you should know. But it, it really is hard to explain these concepts. So let's move on. One of the things I got from the last episode is that they also don't put that much weight on it. I'm wondering if we've been overhyping all these cool Japanese terms because, you know, for us, they're new and exciting and interesting. Or if they're actually really awesome, but they're just, they're not something we've naturally adapted to as we've grown. Like, for example, you would say most Australians are pretty comfortable swimmers. Yes. But in other parts of the world, they're not. So if you were talking to Australian about learning to swim and how incredible freestyle is, we'd be like, yeah, mate, I've been doing that since before I could walk. Whereas for others, it's very exciting, but it's still an amazing skill to have. Is it like that? It is like that. I was thinking about this actually for Wabi Sabi, so I'm jumping ahead, but I was thinking about what's one Australian word similar to all these words, and I realised... She'll be right. It's mateship. <laughs> it's mateship. Right. Mateship. So if someone said to you, James, what's mateship, you would have to pause and think. And if someone asked someone else, you'd probably get these different meanings. And you'd, you'd need to sit down and have a conversation and say, well, it goes back to World War One, and it's this idea of fair go, friendliness. I mean, I can't even explain it. Mateship is simply if someone's going to move house, you offer to help them. That's probably the definition of mateship. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, imagine if you went to Japan and there was a, well, not Japan, but let's say you went to America or Europe, like the UK, and there was a book called Mateship and it was this thick and it had a Venn diagram and it, right. it was the secret to friendliness between strangers. You'd be thinking. That's not mateship. That's weird. So that's how that picky guy concept gotcha. got. That's how you could interpret it. That's a perfect explanation. Yeah. So I think for the Japanese, I feel they've lost touch. They're losing touch of these words, which I think is happening with all cultures. That We're sort of losing touch with our essence. And, and Japan's this country with years and years of history and, and unique culture. 
But this word is used in Japanese culture and it's used in business. And this word, kokorozashi, is actually probably what people are wanting from the westernized version of ikigai. So that's why I think people will love this word. So in the business context, it's having a, a personal mission and it's also the leader's mind. So if we look at the etymology of the word, so kokorozashi, there's a verb form, which is kokorozasu, which means to plant, to intend, to aspire to, to set aims on. So if we take the word kokorozasu, if we take kokoro, that means heart or mind, and then sasu means to point. So it's where your heart is pointed or where your mind is focused on. And then, So the Western version of that would be like your true north? Yes, but with much more sort of... Much more soul, of course. Deeper meaning. Turn up the bass. Yeah, yeah, of course, the Japanese. Yeah, like better, <laughs> of course, it's a better one. Of course, it's got to be better. That's why people love these words because there's this mystique about these Japanese words and they're fascinating and they've got the kanji. Well, and I've got a friend who shapes surfboards and he's used a Japanese word on his surfboard and he's got Japanese models. So his there you go. brand is Yugen. His models are oh, yeah. Iki, Wabi, mm-hmm. and so forth. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so they're fascinating words, this appeal to them, and that's why people love sharing it. And that's why I kind of understood why Ikigai went viral. So we could call this the heart beneath the warrior because there's this idea that there's this hard external layer but a soft core inside. It sounds like a Viking, you know, like those Vikings yeah. films and those fantastic ones uh, where they're such great warriors, but they're also really spiritual and they're uh, tender with each other. Yeah. Yeah, like they look after their kids and they're very family-oriented, but mm. they also go off and plunder, you know, really good <laughs> warriors. Aspirational, I suppose. It's probably part of our heritage. You, know, you and I, not everyone listening to this, but certainly there's some little bit of Anglo-Saxon lineage there. There is, there is, yes. Yeah, so the hard worry in this kind soul, which I think is really appealing. I think it's a good definition of being a man or a warrior. It's or- certainly been in business. There's a lot of groups or business clubs where they're talking about warrior and, you know, it's certainly an appealing marketing thing to get the manly sort of warrior who's, you know, still able to have relationships and so forth. And I think a lot of men need that kind of groove to set in. Otherwise, they're either going to be sort of namby-pamby snowflakes on one side or they'll just be, Hmm. you know, aggressive, hardcore, badass, naughty boys on the other side. It's like somewhere in the middle where you're still manly but still sensitive, more like uh, the way of the superior man style. There you go. So this is what we can gain from this one word. So I stumbled on this word, of all places, on Udemy, and it was actually a course given by Globus Business School, Globus Business School. So it was actually a course by a Japanese company presented in English by a Japanese who could speak fluent English. And, you know, I took it and thought, wow, what's this word? And so as a business concept, it's a personal mission that unifies the passions and skills of a professional to create positive change in society. So this is this big, ambitious goal. I think it's bigger than the Ikigai, the westernized Ikigai concept. So this is uh, like an Elon Musk size word. Yeah, Maybe not, doesn't have to be to that extreme, but that's what we're talking about. He's someone I think is pretty extreme in terms of a change of yeah. society, you know, driving that change. Yeah. Like some serious stuff coming out of there. So, yeah, so there's vision. We, Elon Musk is a really good example, actually. There's vision. So he has this vision to 
I mean, he has several, but to get to Mars and to have electric cars. Hyperloop. He's got Unity. Batteries. Yeah, Hyperloop, yeah. And then he can't do it himself, so he needs people to back him, sponsor him. He's got to get the right talent. So he has Unity and he has people buying into his vision and it will benefit society, everything he's doing. So it's a really fascinating concept and it's incredibly inspiring. Even if you don't have one, if someone else has one, you can jump on board and say, yeah, I want to support your kokorozashi. And does it have to be positive change in society? Like, would you say this won't apply if you're a supervillain, for example? Yeah, it would not apply to a supervillain. <laughs> no, it has to be definitely something that's benefiting society. What if it starts benefiting society, but then it turns out it wasn't like they're talking about in the social dilemma, places like Facebook. Seems like a good idea. Let's connect the world. Mm. But then it's also, you know, starts to take on some different dimensions down the track. What if the founder had good intentions and let the genie out of the bottle, but it turns into a cataclysmic holocaust? Mm. Well, actually, that they have... One aspect of it is adjusting. So if they realise either what they're doing is not benefiting society, they'll adjust. Or if it's not achieving, if they realise we're not going to make the vision this way, they can adjust. It's funny you mentioned, you know, does it have to benefit society? Because I, I have a quote from the Dean of Globus Graduate School of Management, and he describes it as this. Imagine Kokorozashi as an enjoyable life goal a passion that occupies your thoughts on the weekend and makes you excited to wake up on Monday morning. Finding it requires imagination and realising it requires awareness. As such, developing a self-defined kokorozashi that benefits society is no easy feat. Nice. So it's it's like the westernised ikigai concept. It does sound like that. But on steroids, yeah, yeah but just bigger. So it's bigger. It's like yeah. basically yeah. bigger than ikigai. Yeah, the westernised version of ikigai, yeah. So it's fascinating. And these global schools actually an example of kokorozashi. So I guess the founder of the school, Yoshito, what's his name? Oh, it'll come to me. In the 80s, he went to Harvard and he was guaranteed a plum job and he didn't want it. He wanted to go back to Japan and create a business school. So he rented out a couple of rooms. He worked from his apartments and started teaching business. And within the space of, you know, what, 30 years, it's now Japan's biggest business school. And now he wants to make it into Asia's biggest business school. And part of the program is for MBA graduates, they have to have and develop a kokorozashi. So they have to develop it and present it and then pursue it as part of their program. Right. So it's like their mission statement and then they need an action plan and then implementation. Yeah. And there are business books on it. Mm -hmm. So this one is kokorozashi no chikara. So that's the power of kokorozashi. So it's something I stumbled on quite a while ago, but I haven't had time to really research it. But I think it's fascinating. And then I found another quote from Shinzo Abe, who's, as we know, just stepped down as Prime Minister of Japan. And he mentions it in a speech. So I'll quote the speech as well. And it was a policy speech by Prime Minister Shinzo Abe to the 183rd session of the Diet on February 28th, 2013. And obviously this is translated. So, <laughs> so he said, it is the responsibility of our generation to rebuild a robust Japanese economy in which young people are able to believe that the future will be bright. 
we will vigorously launch the three prongs of economic revival, namely bold monetary policy, flexible fiscal policy, and a growth strategy that encourages private sector investment. We will be able to deal with the dramatically changing global economy if we employ the same methods that we have used until now. Now, here it comes. Japan's economic growth depends on our will and our courage to set out to sea and sail without hesitation through the rough waves of the mega competition encompassing the globe. So the will in that last sentence, Japan's economic growth depends on our will and our courage to set out to sea and sail without hesitation. Nice. That will is kokorozashi. And what occurred to me last night was Japanese as individuals, they're very humble. They rarely talk about their ambitions or their achievements. They're never, you know, thumping their chest and announcing what they've done. Well, we learned that from Karate Kid, right? Yeah. But as a country, they're very ambitious and they do set big goals and they're, you know, they're very resilient mm. and they do have this ability to unite. So it's almost like a paradox. You've seen that with their um, dominance of the car industry, yeah. at least up until electric cars, Toyota, for example, and Honda for motorcycles. They really have gone out. I love that external focus. We're going to look out in the world. We'll find those battles and we'll go and win them. Talked about on this podcast a few times how well the Japanese companies have done that by going out and doing their research and practicing and then sharpening up. And in one of the episodes, I talked about how they decided to take on America from Toyota and they went and lived, they sent students to live with American families and then they sent, hmm. they used the Australian marketplace as a practice run and then they designed a brand just for America called Lexus, which stands for Luxury Export US. Oh, there you go. And, uh, basically went and socked it to Cadillac and even the Germans and uh, took on the market. So they've been very good at uh, lowering the cost per employee for manufacture, et cetera. They got a big hand from W. Edward Stemming. That's right. Yes. Yeah. The war, in a way, gave them a reset. They got a fresh start. And we can learn from that too. If you're listening to this episode and life's a bit messy for you and you're not loving it, you can always do a fresh start using this concept. It might be time to develop your own kokorozashi nice. and start from now with this new mission and action plan and implementation. That would be my hope from this episode. And these are not short episodes compared to what we normally publish, but they're so important. Mm. This is the fundamental driver. And it's no coincidence that on the bulk of the higher level coaching students I have where I spend a fair bit of time with them, getting to know them and their business, it really always boils back down to that inner drive and sense of mission and how willing they are to commit to the transformation that is required to get the result they want to get. It all ties in. This makes mm. sense. It's kind of like the little bits of the puzzle are joining together now and I can see it in, in more definition and full color compared to normal. So how do we develop our kokorozashi? Yeah, well, before we jump in that, there's sort of one more aspect that's really important, and that's leadership. I mean, you're a very good leader, James, in terms of, you, you know, you practice what you preach, but you want others to experience what you experience. And you, you've said it yourself that, you know, you want your students to succeed more than you do. 
So you have your unique style of leadership and without it, you know, there could be several thousand people out there now still working a crappy job because you've touched so many people with your membership, with your silver circle, super fast business. And even I'm sure there are people who just listen to your podcast and yeah. they've made changes. Definitely. Only a fraction of the podcast audience buy and that's still that fraction is enough. The one or two percent or three percent, you know, if you're listening to this and you haven't ever bought anything from me, I encourage you at least go and buy work less, make more. <laughs> it will change <laughs> your life. But aside from that, yes. Yeah. So leadership's important. I think with leadership, I'm happy for them to have the best life they can have. Basically, I don't want them to have what I have. I want them to have what they would like to have. Yeah. And that'd probably be very different than what I have. And you know, it's actually impossible to benchmark success from one to another. That's why we should give up thoughts of Lamborghinis or $10 million mm. a year because that is not actually what success equals. And for everyone, it's different. For me, being at the beach without a laptop is success. For other people, they'd be more than happy to be at the beach with a laptop compared to sitting in an office in the city working for someone else. So there's yeah. different stages of this journey too. Yeah, I've always thought with anything you buy, then there's a burden of responsibility to it. Like if I buy a guitar and it's sitting in the corner and I don't use it, I feel guilty. If it's a really expensive guitar, you know, I could get paranoid and, you know, I'll tell my son not to touch it. And these things become distressful elements in our life. You don't own things. Yeah. Things own you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I think it's okay. Obviously, if you're passionate at surfing, yeah, test out as many surfboards as you like. And if you like playing guitar, yeah, buy several and make music on them. But as you say, something like a Lamborghini where it's associated to prestige and you know, all the status crap, do you really need it? Well, it's what people don't buy it for transportation. You could probably get by with a small scooter because mm. it's about as practical. <laughs> you can probably fit the same amount of shopping in it as a scooter. <laughs> I mean, I learned a lot from the marketing people in the car industry. For cars like that, they will actually have a branding label of something along the lines of of hedonist but that lamborghini screams please give me attention look at me how incredible am i i'm better than you it's definitely a status thing there will be of course exceptions there'll be people yeah. who just love cars you know maybe they just fell in love with the story of lamborghini how he is a tractor manufacturer and he wanted to customize his ferrari but enzo ferrari wouldn't do it for him so he said we'll stuff you i'm going to compete with you and drive you into the ground and then he went into competition with ferrari because he was so pissed off as being a loyal ferrari customer customer that he wouldn't make customizations and that Italian passion comes out. <laughs> and then, of course, there was the whole Ferrari versus Ford thing and that whole story. You know, maybe you're attached to the story behind it. I, I know when I purchased AMG, it meant a lot to me because for me, it was finally being on the other side of the desk. It was a decades-long journey of serving and test driving and understanding the product and falling in love with the engineering of it and the quality of it and the fact that it's handmade and that some dude signs the engine. Oh, wow. The guy who hand-makes the engine in his own time, there's no timer, gets to sign it at the end and it's put together by one person by hand. I mean, it's phenomenal. That's fascinating. Mm. Absolutely love that 507 brake horsepower as someone who really has had a big, big influence on cars in my life. It was definitely good to close that loop and enjoy and immerse myself in it. But at the same time, certainly you do notice people look at you differently at the parking lot or, you know, when you go and pick someone up or drop them off, they can't help but be impressed. So there is that. But it's also worth understanding, why do we want these things? What do they mean mm. for us? So are we doing it for someone else to accept us or are we doing it because it's our absolute pure passion? It's really just keeps 
gosh, we're hammering that point, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> it just keeps coming up. <laughs> it's so funny because my Rolex is now you know, locked up in my safe. I, you know, I don't use it anymore and I don't feel like I need it. And whereas it was absolutely critically important to me as a sales manager to make sure that the other people around me accepted me and understood that I was the man. Mm. It sounds silly saying it now. Doesn't it? Yeah. But it's just becoming aware of your own desires and motivations and acknowledging why we're doing these actions. As soon as you start developing that, do it for you, not for everyone else, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, let's see how we can develop your kokorozashi. So I've got a few points. So first, you need to reflect on yourself and recognize the difference that you make or the differences that make you who you are, because we're all different, we're all unique, we all have different values. So reflect on yourself. Then the next step is to have a vision, a personal mission, and it's a change you desperately want to make in society or that will help society. And it has to be big. It has to be impressive so that other people will want to jump on board. Yeah, it must be ambitious so that others will want to support you in achieving your mission. I want to stop on that one because I mentioned in the last episode, I'm currently building my work less, make more in 30 days. This is my sort of pilot draft for it. Maybe it'll be different when it emerges. But my goal with that is to make it shareable. My ambition is that people who are not happy with however life's working for them at the moment could see themselves being transformed within a month of starting. And it's free. And they just feel like this is so good. They want to share it. That's my goal with that because I really feel like, as you said, with the podcast reach, with the book out there, I want to get past where I can get to with the paid book. I want to make sure people actually get the transformation, whether they buy the book or not, whether they buy a membership or not. It's still going to be great if they share it with others and they can actually experience some of those changes that happen when you start valuing your time, you start valuing your relationships, you start working in areas that tick all your buttons, whether you want to call that Ikigai or Kokorozashi. <laughs> yeah, it's important you know, that that message gets out there. So I can really align with that, that others will support me and they will support me by sharing it. They'll hit the share, they'll tell people about it. And that's the main thing. In fact, that's the the one word I want to focus on more from this point forward is I want to make sure my content is more shareable. Mm. I'm hoping people will share this episode with someone who needs to hear our message. Yeah. And that's why this is actually a really different type of episode than what we normally have. We normally have a 25-minute tactical, technical, how-to style episode. This is a lot more heart-centered, yeah. but we're going to go at it with a warrior mission. Yeah. Sound familiar? It does. I'm, I'm so glad to be sharing it with you. So let's move on. So we've just said, yeah, it's got to be big, ambitious, so that other people will want to support you and partner with you and obviously you must lead so if it's your vision you have to lead it so that's just obvious and then if you do partner with someone significantly you know there's someone who's going to buy in or support you with money or become a partner they must share your core values or if they have a similar mission or vision and you're going to work together it has to be in line with yours and i think you know how important that is james It's everything. You know, I was reflecting with my buddy, John Lint. Him and I have partnered on 10X Pro. We speak every week. We live in different countries. We both share a love of surfing and food and helping people. His customer support, my customer support are very good for our customers. We have such strong values alignment that when we work together, it's such a great collaboration. And that's what I look for in a business partnership, Mm. any kind of partnership. 
gosh, you could actually describe that as mateship. Yeah, yeah. We're getting back to that term again. But I would help him move house. You know, he'd help me move house. That's really the test if you're really mates. Yeah, and they offer to. You don't have to ask. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's right. And they bring around a case of beer, beer or <laughs> cider if you're gluten intolerant. Yeah, yeah. So I love this word because it opens up discussion and it does excite you. It, just the looking at the kanji, talking about this word just excites me. And it's, I have all these multiple kokorozashi now that I'm thinking about. And so the last step is take action and adjust. And so what we discussed earlier, if, you know, if the vision gets blurred or we realize we're going in the wrong direction, yeah, you can adjust so you know you're back on and you're being this warrior, but you have this soft, not soft, but you have this true heart and you are being, you know, it goes back to being yourself, your true self. Nice. Well, let's wrap this up. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Let's tie it up. And, you know, I'm wondering if you've got a Venn diagram for that one. I do. I mean, I, I do have a Venn diagram for Ikigai, but I'm, I'm working on it. I'm getting it um, checked. I've got a mentor in Japan who's helping me out with that. So maybe that's an, an, another episode. But I did think, you know, this kokorozashi is quite big and maybe it's too big for our audience because not all of us want to be Elon Musk or not all of us want to invent the new time machine. I don't. I like my sleep too much for starters. <laughs> yeah. I like my sleep and I want to spend time with my family. So, yeah. So after doing further research, I, I did speak to several Japanese entrepreneurs and actually came up with a framework mm -hmm. that um, we could apply to your audience. So for entrepreneurs who are, or I guess not entrepreneurs, but would-be entrepreneurs or people wanting to maybe start their own online business, I think we can describe, I should have printed it out, but... Well, that's okay. We're going to put it up there at yeah. 773. Yeah. Just go to superfastbusiness.com, look for episode 773 in the search bar, or click on the podcasts list. It'll show every podcast we've ever done, except for the ones we deleted because <laughs> they weren't good enough, but no, I'm just joking. Okay, maybe a couple. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so this is Nick's special custom yeah. super fast business version of Kokorozashi. Kokorozashi, yeah. So imagine three interlocking circles. Yep. In the top circle, you have your personal mission. So the change you want to make that will benefit society. And then I guess to your right, there's your tribe. The idea of having 1,000 true fans could be your tribe. Mm -hmm. And then the other circle is content. And so all those three circles interlock. So between your personal mission and tribe, where they interconnect, you have leadership. Yep. And obviously leadership can be done in multiple ways. You can blog, you can podcast, you can do video. Coach. Coach. And then where personal mission and content intersect, you, you have your team. So you can't do it all yourself. Mm -hmm. And you can be a member of your own team. But yeah, you've got to have a team. And then when content, where content and tribe meet, that's where you have your products and services. Nice. And then I guess in the center, we can put kokorozashi. So it's, it's just a snapshot of what kokorozashi could be for your audience. Yeah. Love it. Thank you. Yeah, I love it too. I think it's pretty cool. So It's been a good episode. <laughs> So we've basically discovered the more appropriate version of, of what Ikigai is for someone listening to this podcast. I love that. I, I learned a lot today because this is a brand new topic for me. And I'm actually looking forward to our next one, which is about Wabi Sabi. And, uh, you know, there's books on that one too. So there you go. Nick, uh, where can we find out about you? Because you've been such a generous sharer. I mean, you know, I couldn't have done this episode without you. If I'd done any kind of research on this, it would have taken me a long time. That's what I love about your passion here. You've done the research, so we don't have to, and you brought along the goods. So you've got more information whereabouts. You can go to ikigaitribe.com. And if you don't mind, James, if I promote 
I actually made a very concise, short book, just a Kindle on Ikigai, and it's called Ikigai Demystified. And if you go to Amazon, you see it because it's got the Venn diagram with warning, <laughs> not Ikigai on the cover. We'll link to it from our show episode. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's only seven bucks. And if you read it, you'll be more qualified than all those life coaches teaching, you know, the westernized version of uh, Ikigai. So, and what did you put as your author name, Nicholas or Nick Kemp? Nicholas Kemp. And I did a bit of ninja marketing. I actually put my wife's name because she did help me as her maiden name. So Kaoru Hayashi. So wow. the authors are Nicholas Kemp and Kaoru Hayashi. <laughs> it makes it sound very authentic. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I saw there were so many Ikigai books actually on Amazon, um, Kindles, and I saw this one comment and this guy wrote, another Westerner writing about a concept they know nothing about. So I thought, oh, I need to address that. So I better put my wife's name because she did, you know, she did help me. So Very good. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> I probably learned that from you, James. So thank you. <laughs> Uh, my pleasure. All right. Well, thanks, Nick. I'll, I'll thanks, catch mate. you on our next episode where we're going to talk about Wabi Sabi. If you're listening to this episode and you enjoyed it, please um, give it a review or leave a comment or share it with someone. As always, if you get any email from me, you're welcome to reply. I read every email. Let me know if you need any help, if you want some coaching, if you're not sure what solution is best for you. We want to get in touch with Nick. You can send me an email. I'll forward it to him. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks, James. That's it. We're an ad-free podcast for now, so uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com. Thank you.